0: Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice, no fluff, and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you and lastly preparing for your eventual retirement and how to maximize that result so we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals
1: what was it your mother used to say if you're going to do something do it right well succession planning is no exception and David Grau does this for a living, so he knows what can happen if you don't think it through. I'm Patrice Socorro. David, let's start with a basic question. What is succession planning really? I mean, is it like a financial plan? Is it a contract, a spreadsheet?
0: Well, of course, you open with a big one. So, a <laughs> good place to start. And, you know, frankly, from a conceptual perspective, I, I think it's a topic that the industry, all of us as business owners, frankly, struggle with a little bit. So let's make it easy. We'll tackle it in incremental parts. So let's start with what it isn't. So it, it isn't, to your point, it's, it's not a contract, it's not a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. it's not really even a written document. And and keep in mind, I mean, these are critical things. Uh, we we provide these to our clients for a fee, but they're not the actual succession plan. These are supporting elements. It's kind of the supporting cast, if you will. Um Succession planning, I mean, really at its core, it's about being able to tell your clients, employees, family, all those stakeholders, what happens to the business when you've retired? So I guess in general, I'd say it's probably more of a mindset or frame of mind. Uh, You know, to start thinking long-term, the vision for the business, knowing that someday you won't be at the helm. I mean, really, that's it. But 2.0 version of succession planning I mean, that's more kind of cool. It's about creating something sustainable, something that can continue to grow when you're slowing down, retiring. And honestly, in an industry full of professional planners, I I think when you can make succession planning less about retirement and more about creating a sustainable organization, that's kind of interesting, especially in an industry where so many advisors tell me they're going to die at their desk. They love what they do. It's not that they actually want to die working, I mean, maybe a few of them, but not most of them. It's, <laughs> it's that they love what they do. They, they, they make a good income and and they're not ready to retire. And so they view this as sort of this analog thing. And again, to me, that succession planning, I put the emphasis on the P word, the planning part of it.
1: Do any of the advisors ever take the time to sit down and write anything down, write their vision of their retirement, write their vision of their, their uh, creation after they've left it?
0: Honestly, so few do, but I would tell you, I mean, it's a big part of why we continue to try to help beat this drum. I mean, selfishly, obviously, would love to work with the entire industry to solve these problems because it's good for the business. It's good for the clients. It's obviously good for succession resource group. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, succession planning, sharing equity, family members, retirement savings. I mean, these are, these are big, chunky items to not Write down. So, you know, back to your first question, you know, is it a contract? It is a spreadsheet? No, I mean, it's an idea, but that idea should then lead you to, to your point, to writing this stuff down, even if it's just in a journal, your yellow legal notepad right, on the desk, right. jotting it down. Like, just start committing your ideas to paper and just start the ideate on it. I, I mean, I, I love the idea of writing it down, but I do also hate that so many people think it is a contract and then they get wrapped around the axle and they just never get engaged with it. So it's an idea. But, you know, I, I love your point is like all ideas and goals, they tend to have a more likelihood of manifesting if we, if we write it down.
1: Right, right. Well, when, when should they start thinking about this? If not writing it down, when should they start thinking about their eventual exit?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah. And again, keep in mind, industry full of professional planners who love what they do. Most of them telling me they're going to die at their desk. I mean, I'd say you start thinking about it, planning for it today, yesterday, you know, whenever you, the listener started the business, I mean, you honestly, you can't start thinking about this stuff early enough. Now, many won't do anything about it while they're thinking about it. I get it. And many of them won't even need to based on, you know, where they see themselves, you know, 10 and 20 years from now. But it's, it's the point of having thought about it and made that decision so that when a client sits down and asks you someday when you're 60 or 65, like, Hey, Patrice, how much longer are you going to be doing this? You know, initially you can sort of laugh it off and say, Oh, you know, I love what I do. I'm going to, I'll die at my desk and the client will laugh with you. Right. Then you're 70 and they ask that and you give the same answer and kind of laugh and they just stare at you waiting for an actual answer. Like that's (laughs) That to me is why it's so important to start thinking about this, writing it down, 2.0 version, fantastic, please do. But if nothing else, be ready to answer that question because they will ask. So first step, honestly, thinking about what it is you're building. I mean, to me, it's what what do you want to have built by the time you retire? And I don't mean you need to sit down and do financial projections. I mean, I'd love it if you did, but just your own business plan. You know, if your goal is to build a great, I mean, just wickedly efficient lifestyle business without all the complications of a big team, you probably really only need to start like seriously thinking about it three to five years before you want to retire. But I would still start tracking my value annually. Uh, I'd start looking at my PL a little bit closer, a little bit more consistently, maybe quarterly, if nothing else. You know, just basically build something that somebody else would be excited about taking over. You know, right. if you're the empire builder, building the ensemble, big true team, you know, probably start the formal succession planning process seven to 10 years before the founder or founders want to retire. But practically, I mean, again, succession planning, honestly, really should be happening every single day. It's part of like the fabric of a healthy organization, like dead documented systems and processes that are repeatable redundancies. Um, Training, I mean, just all that stuff so that you can have these career tracks that allow Gen 2 and Gen 3 to see their path to ownership. Like that's, whether by design or by default, these folks that create these enterprises, like they they can operate and exist someday without their founder. And that's how they unlock so much value because they create these really cool turnkey businesses.
1: Well, that brings up another question. And you're talking Gen 2, Gen 3. I'm right. assuming they are internal. Is it... Yeah is it in my best interest as the founder to go internally for a succession plan or should I look outside for a third party sale?
0: That one is, you know, it's going to depend obviously on the business being built the goal, you know, but in general, so many of these folks that we talk to conferences, um, conference calls in person mm-hmm. meetings, you know, the question, yeah, is exactly as you put it, like how, how do I get the best value out of the business? And it's such a tough one because it is so dependent on the fact pattern. And frankly, I mean, I know it sounds kind of warm and fuzzy, but like what value means to the retiring founder? Right, right. You know, if, it, if it's simple, let's take the first cut at it. Keep these things simple. If, if value is defined as the total financial package, easy answer. I mean, financially, I can tell you without a doubt, if we compare internal succession planning to a third party sale. The third party sale wins every single day and twice on Sunday. Like it just, there's no way you can compare the two from a purely financial perspective, but value can also mean a lot of other things. You know, how do I maintain control until I'm ready to give up and retire? You know, how do I have a solution waiting in the wings when I need them, but not do anything until I need them? How can I work less and still earn a good income? How do I get? a fair value for my business make sure my clients are taken care of. Like most of our clients don't articulate that as their value that they're looking for, but I would tell you kind of between the lines, that's what many of them are prioritizing. And so then all of a sudden succession planning starts to become maybe the, the leading horse in the race. Like, but it's never done for the best value, but it can allow you to still extract a fair value. Um, I mean, but you got to be willing to put in the time and effort. Like it's, it's not easy. But with the right team, if you start early enough, back to your earlier question on timing, I mean, I can still make a pretty compelling case for internal succession planning. Just the real challenge, and anybody who's in the middle of succession planning, like intentionally, they'll tell you the same thing. It's third-party sale, you take two cash flows, and you squish them together. A succession plan, you take one cash flow that has been used for all these years to pay the salaries, the lease, keep the lights on, butts and seats, and grow it. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to add to that list, trying to help facilitate and finance succession. That's just—it's a lot to ask of one cash flow. So it, it can be doable, but we just have to sort of redefine, or at least define, what value means to the founder.
1: Speaking of value, outside parties—are these industry aggra- aggregators, say aggravators, but the aggregators <laughs> we've been hearing about. Are they really paying these, these numbers, these multiples we're hearing?
0: I mean, yeah, yes is the short answer, but yes and no is the mixed answer. And frankly, I think your subconscious, you know, aggravators, aggregators, is probably not too far (laughs) off the mark. Um, They they created a a lot of fervor around the M&A subject. And for that, I thank them because this is just, it's a topic that in a graying industry, that works with retirees. Like you, we really, we need to do a better job as an industry of doing succession planning because it, you know, it kills me to watch the brain drain of you know folks who have built a business over twenty or thirty years, gotten to know their clients, the products, the markets, and then they sell the business. They get a great value, but they retire and they're gone in twelve months. Like you cannot tell me they unlocked twenty or thirty years worth of knowledge about any of those things in mm-hmm. six to twelve months while also introducing all the clients. To their successor. So I, I do thank them for that. Um, you know, they, they do provide a really strong value to the right people. What people don't always understand is that, especially when you look at these private equity-backed aggregators, they know it, but they don't associate it in this context. Like private equity, when they make an investment, they, they expect a strong financial return, right? I mean, these are not like buy and hold investors. And, and they want a strong financial return Usually quickly. So when I see these advisors we talk to that are reading these articles and thinking, like, oh, I'm just, I got to get big enough to sell to these aggregators who will just write these huge checks. These firms do this for a living. They have gotten somebody else to give them their money to go do more of this. And they're really good at it. (laughs) They don't have a habit of overpaying. And if you felt like you got overpaid, you just need to probably look a little bit closer. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, you know. Because for the right business, I mean, for other buyers, it can be really tough to compete with these aggregators for the right businesses. But it's just important to understand what it is these firms are actually looking for. Like they're not trying to buy a job. They don't want to buy your book of business and take it over and then you retire and exit stage left. And unless you happen to be located near one of their existing hubs, then maybe if you've got a large enough enterprise, they'll still do it. But- they want to buy a turnkey business so do they pay these high multiples yeah you know for the right businesses the problem is they'll send out letters emails to everybody and then everyone gets excited that they're paying you know 10 12 times earnings well they're paying that for firms that actually have a business number one which is not most advisors most advisors have a really good lifestyle business so they will pay good values you just have to make sure you position your business correctly, that you sort of line up with them and that your business is prepared. So, you know, if you have an interest in talking to these types of buyers, again, they're really experienced. They've done this before. Let our team help you. Like, Aside from deciding to start your business, deciding to sell it is probably the other biggest decision that you'll make, and these firms can be a tremendous value for the industry if you if The stars align and everything is lined up and you're ready to deal with it.
1: Now, we talked in a a previous episode about the importance of valuation, and this just brings this home. You've got to make sure you understand what you have. How often should you be doing that?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're asking a barber if you need a haircut. You know, we, we do valuations. We do sell them, full disclosure. Um, but but I would tell you the same answer. Honestly, even if you just take the industry average multiples that we publish twice a year, we do it in January and July every year. Just our observations, wisdom of the crowd, what's happening out there in the MA market. Either do evaluation or take those average multiples and do it every single year. Put it on your personal balance sheet. I just, I cannot stress that one enough. You may never do anything. <laughs> you might actually be the advisor who he or she dies at the desk because you love what you do. You don't have to work that hard. I get it, but still do the valuation. It's, it's no different in my mind than knowing the value of your home. You know, Patrice, you ever been on Redfin or Zillow or gotten the emails course, about the of value course. of your house? Yes, yeah. Exactly. Like we've all done it. And we all generally know, even though we're not necessarily selling our house, like I know if I go hire somebody to renovate the back deck or to go redo the kitchen, like A, quality of living, improved, not a bad thing. Someday, even if I die, kids inherit the house, I want to pass on something that has value to them. And so the business is the same thing to me. Value the business annually and you will will build a better business. It will be more valuable. But frankly, just like renovating the kitchen, it'll also be nicer to live in in the meantime. So I think there's just, there is, no downside to valuing the business on an annual basis. It used to be expensive. I get it. Like you were going to pay fifteen or twenty thousand dollars every year to value the business, unless you had a really big enterprise. But now, I mean, there's firms like ours that can do it for a thousand dollars. Like you can b- fit that in the budget.
1: You've gone through some really a good list of best practices, but let's look at the dark side. What are things that people should not do?
0: Well, yeah, there's lots of best practices and we'll continue to pontificate on those, but yeah, things to just avoid doing at any cost. We run into this a lot cuz we we do expert witness litigation support and it's a painful process every single time when we have to do it, but you do learn stuff that we can share with our clients to try to help avoid. So, I'll hit three quick ones. Um, if you're doing any kind of internal succession planning, one, don't overpromise. Two, whatever you promise, write it down. And when I say you know promise, I mean if you if the words have left your mouth, <laughs> if you have possibly created the expectation of sharing equity or earning equity or being a successor or that's being part of the career track, write that shit down. I mean, I mean I'm not kidding. It's I have so many folks who think I won't write it down, and that that will be better and safer because I'm not really sure yet what I want to do. It doesn't matter if you created the expectation with employees, right. it only actually gets worse when you don't write it down. You can always change it and communicate that this can change, but at least get the 1.0 version written down if you've created that expectation. And if you haven't, I'd still say write it down, but you have a little bit more lead time on it because you haven't put yourself in a corner mm-hmm. uh, to get professional guidance, you know, self-plugging SRG here, but who, regardless of who it's from, somebody who knows what they're doing. Who does succession planning, setting up entities, valuation, that they do that stuff 24 7, 365. Now, that used to be the case 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago in our industry, like there wasn't anybody else who did this stuff. But now the whole industry has started to realize like succession planning is really important for each individual advisor, but also the broker dealers, the custodians, the tamps. Like we all have a stake in making sure these businesses are sustainable, well-run, and handed off to the next generation and not just rode into the ground like days of yore. So th- there's just too many people with too many agendas get professional guidance and support on this stuff. Like it, It's worth spending the money and, and not just getting the simple answer from your broker-dealer, for example. it's It's not bad or misinformed necessarily, but they have their own agenda just like a coach will. I mean, it's It's worth spending the time and effort to get objective advice just periodically. It doesn't have to be the entire course of your career, but it's no different than if I want compliance guidance or you want compliance guidance, you could ask me, maybe even tax guidance. We talk taxes on succession planning all the time. Mm -hmm. But while I can talk about it, I'm going to refer you to an expert who's going to actually file your taxes or to a compliance expert who actually really knows the Investment Advisors Act of 1940 and the ins and outs of that, like- I will tell you you know, where we start and stop. Not everybody else will. Last one here, quick hitter, softball. When you do sell your business, internal succession, external, I don't care. Don't just sell it to your friend, or your peer, your colleague, someone who you know and trust. Like That one kills me where I think the advisors that we're talking to think they're doing right by their clients by selling to someone who they know and trust. But it's no different than hiring the first, you know, administrative assistant who walks in the door and you have a great first interview. You're hired. Well, what about the other 65 people lined up that are interested? The other 65 may not be a better fit. But when it comes to your clients, if, if I'm in your shoes, the advisor, I want to be able to tell my clients someday, I have done my due diligence. I have kicked the tires on every possible successor. This is the person who, when I retire, will manage my money. Like that's a compelling conversation to have.
1: And all I keep thinking is if it's a friend, how long are they going to remain a friend?
0: Yeah, and that's the hard part is honestly, Patrice, it's, and I, we work on these deals a lot. I mean, I tell you probably 80% of the transactions we work on, and we'll work on probably close to 200 a year, 80% of them are between two peers, two friends, really, two colleagues. Really. And I would tell you they remain friends, colleagues, even after the deal's over. Awesome. But that's mostly because- the founder made a whole bunch of concessions to help get that deal done. Like they have a name for those kinds of friends and I won't say it on this podcast, but we know who we're talking about.
1: Oh, gotcha. Gotcha.
0: (laughs) All right. Now succession planning, my friend, as you, as
1: you've said to me, you're going to eat your own cooking. Hmm? (laughs) What are you doing? What
0: are you doing? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because we can, talk about this stuff sort of from the ivory tower and again, wisdom of the crowd. We've got good insights, but we also, I'm a business owner, just like everyone else listening here today. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, back to my comment on the, you know, the ensemble building that true team, like I'm 42, i will be 43 in July. Like, no, I am not planning to retire anytime soon, but I I do think about retirement. Like most founders, I work a lot and not because I have to, but, but because I want to like so many of you listening, we could take our foot off the gas and you could just settle into modest growth, sustainable growth, frankly. But to your point, Patrice, we live succession planning every day. We don't just talk about it. like We're working to build teams of experts, our farm team of talent under them so that we can frankly continue to serve this industry well past the end of my career, whenever that is. But it goes back to my earlier point on succession planning, creating a sustainable business. It's it's a mindset. It's it's part of how you, we built our job descriptions. It's how we hire. Like it's literally woven into the career paths and, and the people that you bring on. Like You're more selective about them. When you're keeping your eye on the exit door someday, even if it's 20 years out there, when you know this person could be part of my long-term succession plan or training my long-term successor, Like you're going to be a lot more intentional about these things. And the best part is, like for those of you trying to build these types of teams, like even if you miss the mark, the mere aspiration and effort of you trying to build this, you will have created something with tremendous value. And that's not a bad consolation prize in my mind.
1: That's fantastic. I love the thought of the long range vision, someone coming through that door. This could be be the one to to succeed me. That's a fantastic way to look at it. Well, David, how can advisors reach you to share some of this wisdom?
0: Uh, As always, on our website, SuccessionResource.com, mainly because we post our blog articles there. There's a chat to get connected with our team, schedule time with any of our professionals, including myself. Um, So it's always a good place to go. And then LinkedIn. Honestly, our team is really good about putting even bits and pieces of amazing podcasts like this up there. So we just try to keep beating this drum, disseminate this information, because I fully acknowledge those of you listening. I mean, many of you will be in growth mode succession planning couldn't be further off in your mind but we're going to keep being you know that jiminy cricket on your shoulder trying to keep reminding you about this subject whether it's on linkedin our website or at conferences you'll hear from us
1: all right be sure to follow this podcast that way you will know when a new episode is ready for you share with others including those in your business circle and contact david if you have questions or topics you'd like him to tackle thanks for being with
0: us And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at successionresource.com or, of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of succession resource group. The Content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. Only the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have as always We at SRG, stand ready to help when you're ready.